0: We reference the television series Smallville a lot around here, and there's one Smallville Rewatch podcast that's always at the top of my queue, Always Hold On to Smallville, hosted by our pal, Zach Moore. Zach and his guests bring tremendous insight, passion, and humor as they discuss each and every episode of the series that ushered in the renaissance of superhero TV. Listen to Always Hold On to Smallville wherever you get podcasts, and keep an eye out for the other shows under the Always Hold On To banner, including Arrow, DC's Legends of Tomorrow, Superman and Lois, and Star Wars. I'm a proud backer of the Paragons of Earth Crowdfunder. The creative team of Percival Constantine, Thomas DJ, and Eric Johns have plucked forgotten Golden Age superheroes from the public domain, reinvented them as their own sort of Justice League, and put them up against a Lovecraftian apocalypse. Support this project by going to crowdfunder.com, that's crowdfunder without an E, slash Paragons comic and read a free sample. Also, Perry, who's been a guest on the show, hosts the Superhero Cinephiles podcast about superheroes in media. Be sure to listen wherever you get podcasts. 30 years ago, I stood in front of a comic shop advertising the death of Superman in its window display. That moment outside Heroes World set me on a path, a lifelong fan journey leading directly from that tattered red cape to this podcast. Now, together, we mine Superman's vast 85 year mythology by examining, discovering, and reconsidering the stories that have shaped the last son of Krypton. Welcome to Digging for Kryptonite, a Superman fan journey. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Dawn of DC and the Superman titles is the host of the Men of Steel podcast, first-time guest, Case Aiken. Welcome to the show.
1: I Thank you so much for having me on. I, uh, I'm thrilled. I've been uh, appreciating your podcast since uh, Superman podcasts are are kind of my jam. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to talk about a really fun era of the of the series.
0: Yes, I'm so glad that we could connect. We were talking off mic that one of the great things about doing this has been connecting with fellow Superman podcasters. Uh, so I'm so happy to have you on a first time guest on the show here. And this is our first episode following Red Skies, our 13-episode event, looking at all of DC's crises. So the red skies have parted; they're blue once again, and we're in yet another new publishing initiative, right? Because after virtually all of the crisis events that we looked at, there was there was some sort of publishing initiative, whether it was more branding focused or story focused, whatever the case may be. There was always something coming after these events, right? After Zero Hour, we had Zero Month. After Infinite Crisis, we had One Year Later, where the book skipped ahead a year. My goodness, after Flashpoint, we had The New 52. After Death Metal, we had Infinite Frontier. So there's always kind of something coming after these events. And here now is the dawn of DC across the publishing line. And for me, this created a great opportunity to finally catch up on the Superman books. I wanna ask you first, have you been in a similar position where maybe these were kind of piling up and this was motivation to go through them or have you been following this or any of the other dawn of DC titles? What's your experience been?
1: Um, y- yeah. So th- this sort of corresponded, uh, directly with, uh, some life stuff going on, big one, having a child. So it has very much fallen on the back burner. I have a giant pile of comics. Uh, so this was kind of a good excuse for it. Um, I had been doing pretty good at being like up to date until that all happened. So about, uh, the beginning of this year, all of a sudden, uh, the piles just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally understand. Just to lay out for people what we took a look at. So we read essentially three arcs. We read the inaugural arc on the new ongoing Superman title by Joshua Williamson and Jamal Campbell, the Supercorp arc. And we also took a look at the Adventures of Superman John Kent miniseries by Tom Taylor and Clayton Henry. And we caught up with Philip Kennedy Johnson's Action Comics. We read the Speeding Bullets arc from Action 1051 through 1056. So I was happy to catch up on the Superman books. The last time we sort of checked in, we had covered the Son of Kal-El series and Kal-El Returns and Action 1050. So this is our first time sort of catching up with the last half year of the supertitles. I didn't assign this, but I did also read a little bit of the Night Terrors uh, tie-in issues, which uh, I've got a couple of thoughts that I'll share on those, but really obviously focused on what our main reading assignment was. And I guess just big picture, did what was your overall take on what we read? Did you enjoy it? Are you into this dawn of DC era? What were your overall impressions?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I'm positive in general. Um, like I have a, a couple th- thoughts and I, I, I think they're not like controversial takes. Uh, about how some of the the new elements of, of uh, the Superman line is is shaping out, mostly just because the the sheer number of characters in the Superman line is getting quite big, uh, which is fine. I'm I'm all for it, but making sure that they're distinct and having you know <laughs> time to shine is always uh, is always difficult. Um, I think it's kind of like what you were saying uh, regarding like the the various crises, like having these like big moments, like these big events to bring people in gives a good opportunity to sort of like clear the table, start kind of fresh, uh, spend some time with the characters, uh, um, and, and set a new direction for everyone to look at. And this was definitely that for the Superman books, um like I said, generally very positive. Um, I, I think all of these are strong stories that can illustrate the types of stories you can tell with Superman that are difficult to tell with a different kind of character. Like the, you can have these really weird stories and you can have these really compassionate stories, characters who uh, are put in these massive, you know, existentially terrifying situations, but have the power of action to get through, like, to know that they can get through it so that like, taking the more compassionate approach is a thing that they have the the luxury to do. Um, And I think that that's sort of one of the the underlying parts about Superman that's really fun that when people say that, oh, he's lame because he's so powerful, they're like losing that, that reverse dichotomy to it, like that reverse element of, well, yeah, but that means he can choose to do the right thing and not have those like human flaws in play.
0: I think we had similar experiences with this. It's funny because The Triangle Era is so near and dear to me. And we're not in that territory here. It's not like the three books that we looked at were telling a weekly adventure. But I definitely felt like thematically, the creative teams were all kind of on the same page as far as how they view Superman. And when you talk about the kinds of stories you can tell with Superman and the compassion that he can demonstrate and the effect that that can have on other people, heroes and villains alike... I think you see you see a through line across these these three arcs that we looked at. Uh, and I really enjoyed that. So similar to you, overall, I really enjoyed these. I won't lie, it was also nice to kind of segue out of all of that heavy crisis reading and just settle back into <laughs> to the Superman titles. I had, here's the thing, I really had a great time going through all of the crisis events. And I'm so glad I did that run of episodes. I needed to do it. It was just kind of this this itch I needed to scratch, so I'm glad that I did it. But it was three and a half months, man. It's like I consumed more crises <laughs> in that span of time than anyone was ever meant to. <laughs> but <laughs> but it was it was a blast. But I was happy to kind of come back now and just check in on on Metropolis, a very crowded Metropolis, as you, as you were alluding to. We do have now this Superman family era that we're we're in, where the family has grown and. This kind of ties into some larger questions, which I, I want to get to. But first, I always ask whenever we have a first time guest on the show and, uh, you know, we're so deep in and we have our, our kind of our usual uh, roster of guests where I don't often have the opportunity to ask this, but I will take it since you're, you're you're here for the first time. What is your Superman fan journey? And the way I always kind of kind of narrow that a little bit is what are those those tent poles, those pillars of your fandom that sort of hold everything up.
1: Um, I think that a lot of it comes from, you know, child of the eighties, early nineties. Um, a, a lot for me initially was the, the sort of the periphery of Superman, the, the, uh, like mighty mouse, for example, like characters who are analogous to Superman, referential to Superman in a lot of ways were like early moments for me. And then like a cultural awareness of, of Superman, um, And then pretty quickly seeing the Christopher Reeve movies and, and sort of like getting a a vibe for that. And like, there was the George Reeve shows on, on reruns on Nick at night. So like, those are all areas where, you know, even, even before I was really reading for fun that way, you know, like, you know, when I'm like five or six, when shifting from reading Calvin and Hobbes all the time to being like, Oh yeah, I can check out like these monthly comics or, or, or whatever to that effect. Um, and initially, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> initially getting to into actual comics. I got into Marvel first um, and then sort of worked my way. And really it was around like the zero hour time when Superboy became a big character. Impulse was a big character where I started being like, you know what? I'm going to check out some of this DC stuff. And I like, I'd read little bits here and there, but it, it wasn't part of my regular like reading order or, you know, I, uh, at this point I think I'd finally gotten like a box at my local comic shop. And uh, it, you know, I started adding some DC books, um, but you know, I was, I was a preteen and like the teen superheroes were a big one for me. So, uh, so Superboy was a big conduit for me to getting into Superman stuff. Um, And I started reading about other Superman books. I, I want to, I believe it was the second trade I ever owned was the death and return of Superman. Um, And so that, that was like a big area for me to be like, okay, now I'm catching up on all all of these things. Uh, And then that, that sort of opened up my curiosity to it and started, I started de- like diving into the history of DC. I was fascinated by the crisis, uh, when I picked up that, that issue at that dollar bin that I mentioned, um, it was this local bookshop for me that, uh, uh for, um, or rather where I would go in the summer times that would have like all these random back issues that you could get. It was 55 cents for one issue or 50 cents or $2 if you bought four. Um, And so I was just like scooping them up. And a lot of them were early John Byrne Superman books. Uh, There was random issues of, of crisis. There were random Paul Levitt's issues of Legion of superheroes. I remember the first one I picked up had Superboy flying on the cover and Uh, and I was like, oh, cool. More, more of this trying to like, you know, piece this all together, uh, piece together. Like what is the bronze age Superman? Like what, how does that relate to crisis and and work my way through the perspectives that a lot of writers at the time were like putting out there because there's, there was an impetus, especially from John Byrne himself, uh, to be like, this is the better Superman. This is the upgraded Superman for the modern era. Like forget about the old stuff. Um. So there was a bit of, like, kind of, like, piecing together what I actually, like, enjoyed and thought of, and and that's about the time when World started to become big and trade paperbacks started to become a thing, and so I was able to pick up a lot of those and see sort of, like, here's other perspectives unchained from continuity for that, and I, I mean... I think it's not weird to say for someone who does a Superman podcast, like I can hyper fixate on a thing. And so when I was like, Oh, here's a thing for me to like do a lot of research about and find out about this like 50 years worth of continuity. Like that became a big thing for me just in time for, you know, the the full on triangle era, the electric blue era of Superman, like, like all these books um, <laughs> and just wanting to learn more, but it was pre-internet. So the only way to do that was to pick up back issues and sort of like piece the story together.
0: Gosh, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing, and uh yeah, as as uh, you know, two Superman podcasters here. It's like with this eighty five year mythology at this point, right? There's so much, <laughs> like there's so much to yeah. explore, and, and even rolling it back to the nineties, you know, even still at that point. And yeah, I can definitely appreciate. I've talked about this on the show before, but I I can not to sound like an old man, but I can vividly remember that point in time where the main resource that we had, you know, back issues or wizard. You know, I remember getting right, to the yeah. point where we had wizard and it's like, okay, at least there would be articles and you'd have the the price. Like you got, you at least were able to get a little bit more context and history for some of these things. So uh, yeah, no, I, I can totally, I can totally appreciate all of that. So as we, as we circle back now to these dawn of DC titles that we're here to talk about, uh, we're recording this, over New York Comic Con weekend, so there were a couple of announcements, uh, Superman-related that uh, I'll just mention for a second. Uh, I guess the the chief one is that Philip Kennedy Johnson will be leaving the Action Comics title at the end of 2023, and for all of 2024, Action will be will be operating under the Superstars era, where where top tier creators will come on for three issue arcs. So Jason Aaron. Uh, is, is writing a bizarro story. Josh Williamson is doing a Brainiac story that is going to cross over with his Superman title. I believe those were the only two who were announced so far as of this recording, but that's the idea for uh, for 2024. Now, rationally, logically, objectively, of course, I know there is, no, there is no scenario where anyone at DC Comics would consult with me about any of this. Irrationally, emotionally, this is the second time now I've gotten a little bit burned in terms of coverage here, not knowing where DC's going. So, you know, and I, I you can identify with this. So a while back, we did an episode on, on a portion of Philip Kennedy Johnson's uh, War World saga. And normally, for people who know the show, normally we wait until stories are done and settled, and then we'll look at the entire thing, right? But I wanted to do something a little current. I wanted The excuse to kind of read everything and catch up and do an episode on it. And at the time, both the writer and DC were being very coy about how long the War World saga was going to last. And so I remember thinking, well, this could be a whole another year of this. So let me cover what's out so far. And then, of course, right after we do the episode, it turns out there's like five issues left. And that puts me in a very difficult spot because what am I going to do? Another episode on War World Saga with five issues? That's that, you know, so, so there's that. And then now here, <laughs> we're, we're here reading what's, what now has been revealed to be Johnson's penultimate arc on Action Comics. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. But at the same time, I just can't help but have a little bit of that gut reaction. Like, damn it. <laughs> Twice <laughs> now. Anyway. Are you excited for yeah. these these uh, upcoming plans?
1: Uh, I, I, enough, Jason Aaron. I really liked his Thor run. His Avengers run was w- was fine. I enjoyed some of it, and other other parts not as much. Um, but you know, I, I'm excited to see what he, he's doing with it. I've really been enjoying uh, Johnson's run on Action Comics. So it is like sad to see him go, but it. As I get older, it is easier to recognize that all these, like, historic runs that I'm I'm thinking about for some characters are like, oh, no, that was, like, 20 issues. That was, like, two years of their life, like, relatively speaking. Uh, And admittedly, publishing schedules have gotten very weird as a result of, you know, the Panini and other stuff like that recently. So it's a little bit different than than back in the day. But, like, it... So some of the things that felt very important in retrospect were like very small windows of time. Like when we looked at the, the death of Superman arc realizing that, it, oh, it was only seven years after crisis. And like, it's like, oh, well, that's a pretty small chunk of time when you think about it.
0: No, that, listen, that is a really good point. And, and again, just as far as the duration of runs today, generally right for him to have been on the book, as long as he has, is, yeah. is, is actually is something, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I guess overall I'm excited for the stories they've announced, but I am I am disappointed uh, that he's leaving, because I really do, I really have enjoyed, I thought the Warworld saga was great, and just kind of seeing his handle on the character generally, uh, I, I've really enjoyed his take, so I, I am sorry to see him go, but in any event, that's kind of the big news, and then you know by the time people hear this i believe that the anniversary uh eight, issue 850 of superman aka superman 7 of the current uh title will be out obviously we're recording this before that so we're not 100% current but uh we'll get you most of the way there with uh, with this episode so when we kind of look at the dawn of dc generally i guess there are there are two big picture things that are related that come to mind uh, one that's kind of Superman specific and the other that's sort of DC wide. Well, let's start with the Superman piece of it first. And you, you, you were getting at this earlier where the Superman family is in full force here. So of course we have Clark himself, Lois and Clark's son, John, uh, the, the clone, Connor Kent, AKA Connell. Uh, we have Kara Zor-El as Supergirl. We have John Henry Irons as Steel. We have his niece, Natasha, also Steel. And then we have the two youths uh, from War World that uh, Clark brought back with him, right, uh, who become the uh, the quote unquote super twins. Oh, and we also have the Superman of China, uh, Keenan, right? The Superman. Right. So. And that's on the cover
1: of, of, of it minus uh, John, John Henry, but then also Power Girl. Yes. And like cannot omit Power Girl from this, this conversation. And this is going to be my bigger point about the Superman family right now of making distinct characters.
0: Well, let me, I mean, let me toss it to you because I don't... Like, as I was reading it, and this is mostly, again, out of the three the three titles we looked at, this is mostly in action comics where they're all kind of working together here. Uh, whereas, for example, uh, Williamson's Superman title really, for the most part, focuses more squarely on, on Superman. But the action arc really shows you this, <laughs> this unit. And I, I, I'm torn because on the one hand... I do genuinely enjoy all of these characters individually. I think my the issue that I had was that it was really starting to feel a bit crowded. And I won't lie, there were times both in and out of costume, but especially out of costume, where I didn't know if I was looking at John or Connor until yeah. the dialogue helped me place them. And then I was like, okay, I know I gotta have my bearings here. But it was just and I think that kind of speaks to what could be a larger issue. but so how do you, how do you feel about having all of them like in metropolis and sharing the page in this speeding bullets arc?
1: Conceptually, great. <laughs> but in practice, the exact problem you're talking about and and John and Connor are the two worst offenders on this one because they're constantly together in scenes and are at this point, I don't even know who is supposed to be older like in terms of biology. like I think John is technically, but they also say he's not that much older than Damien. Normally, and uh, and Connor is, is his own mess of like well one he's a clone two he spent a good chunk of time with his age frozen uh and three I, I, like how old is he supposed to be biog- biologically like hard to say sometimes because he's been depicted as like kind of a, like a young kid and other times he looks like he could be like just shy of a college student so like where in that maturity process is he and then yeah like uh, and John has his own rapid aging stuff it's. The, those two are the hard ones like like what are we doing with these two characters are like they can't both be superboy but also neither of them can really be superman at least at, at least with clark around
0: yes no oh, absolutely it's it's funny because when they announced that following action 1050 we were entering this superman family era and action comics was going to embrace the anthology format right and it has we have our lead story right and then we have two backups. And for the issues that we read, uh, the, the first backup is by Dan Jurgens and Lee Weeks, right? the creative team on that uh, Lois and Clark uh, miniseries that paved the way for rebirth and the return of the, the post-crisis Lois and Clark, all that business. Uh, so they have uh, 10 pages uh, where we get to see this untold story with Lois and Clark and young John when they've gone back to, uh, back to the country and Clark has donned his black suit. Uh, and then there are for the remaining issue or f- for all of the issues, some of them have a Power Girl backup, and then the re- the remaining ones have a Steel backup. So that that is the format that they're using. But I guess on paper, I I would have assumed that it would have been a Superman lead story, and then for example, a John Kent backup and and a yeah. Power Girl backup or a Supergirl backup. But instead, again, we got all of the Superman family <laughs> operating together, and. I don't, I remain very mixed, and I once again I'd be curious to hear what what the audience thinks about this because there is something that is that is cool. Like we really haven't, at least in the modern era, seen this right, and and even in a pre-crisis era. I mean, not not with this configuration and these these familial dynamics per se. So, like part of me says, okay, this is actually kind of cool to see to see Superman leading leading a family in this way yeah. there is something appealing to that but at the same time it, again it's just it's feeling crowded it's it, literally i'm confusing characters and and you you know at, at what point at what point are we diluting the s like there's something really cool about the fact that so many have donned it but then when you see them all together does it not make superman maybe stand out a little bit less i mean i i don't know i get differing opinions on it i suppose
1: I mean, I think in this context, we are starting to get towards that sort of like house of L kind of structure to it all with like Superman being this like, like Potter familia to them all. And like that, I think works fairly well in terms of the dynamic between them, like having, having the, the established Superman be, be the one who is, you know, fully matured, the voice of reason with the group, like the biggest one in the room minus steel when he's around, like it's. I think that works okay. And in terms of like having that kind of family dynamic, it honestly made me think of like Chris Claremont X-Men books a lot. Like they were hanging around oftentimes just in sweaters and it sort of like felt like that kind of like, we're, you know, we're, we're watching TV. We're going to play baseball tomorrow kind of sequences that you used to see a lot more often. Uh, And, and I liked that here because I think that Superman, I, I think that they're, is a place and a time for like Superman feels isolated and alone. But I think having him be so established in his career at this point, the benefit is that that family has grown, that we are getting back to that very rich world that Superman inhabited back in like the silver age, you know, where you could have all kinds of characters and the justice league can show up and they're minor characters because there's just so many more important ones, like on the front lines there. So I'm, I'm cool with that. And, and I don't mean to like sound like, like a broken record on this one. It's just that in the sequences that we're watching them, we should be able to clearly tell who everyone is. And between, between the fact that we have characters who are already innately very similar, and then the redesigns for characters that have made them even more similar looking, like they're not doing themselves any favors in terms of like really having strong distinguishing characteristics between everyone.
0: Well, that's the thing. Like I said, with Connor and John, they're the worst offenders here. And with John, you know he lost the cape so at least when he had the cape i felt like it was easier to again to to pick him out in a crowd of of supers uh but here absent the cape uh he's not wearing a jacket per se but obviously connor is and so the two of them again in a in a crowded battle scene that is where it gets a little a little tricky i feel like there's maybe a little bit a little bit more of a balance that could have been struck i mean look i've i've sung the praises of the superman and lois tv series a ton and i will continue to do so i love that sort of that configuration that we have. And, you know, maybe if if what we were dealing with here was Lois and Clark and, you know, John and Connor kind of echoing a, a similar type of dynamic that we get on the show with we I was be, thinking
1: uh, about that. I, I was when I was reading it, I was like, you know, it would be kind of fun if they were set up to be like the John and Jordan kind of situation. But it you know, except here they both have powers, but like they're slightly different. Um uh it is <laughs> I don't know how you would do it though, like because one is actually his biological son and one isn't, and they, they like they're just like distinct enough that way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and and look, here's the thing: if they did that, then I or other podcasters would get on here and be like, "Oh, they're just trying to be like the TV show." So I, I look, I appreciate that the the comics are are doing their own thing, uh, just a little bit crowded. But so this points to a larger question that I want to pose to you about. I guess about this era of DC. And I was having a conversation earlier today with uh, Rich Roney, who's been on the show a bunch of times here. We're talking about how, even just in my my 30 years now of, of reading comics, where there was definitely that stretch in the 90s where you had the, the protégés, the younger heroes, replacing their predecessors, the era of Wally West and Kyle Rayner and Connor Hawk. And that was a pretty... Uh, formative time for me as a reader. So I, I always kind of gravitate towards that. And I, I think there's an argument to be made for what happened there, where you had these characters kind of step up and they were the next generation. And then we saw that shift, right? Even just kind of sticking with that trio where you had Ollie and Barry and Hal come back. And that kind of led to what I see as kind of the next iteration of this, where the originals came back and their successors were kind of pushed to the side. I mean, Wally West was literally (laughs) erased from reality for a period of time. And yeah, Kyle Rayner stuck around and he, you know, he probably had the most to do out of the three that I'm talking about, but still there didn't seem to be a ton of space for all of them. But now we're in this era, this dawn of DC era where there's this vast Superman family, the Batman family has grown, the Flash family. Like there's a, there are a lot of characters from different generations, all kind of sharing in the powers and the mantle and the title of these characters. And I guess this is another instance where clearly I at least have some mixed feelings at a minimum, but I don't know fully where I land because for the most part, I love these characters and I love them having the opportunity to be present and to actually have something to do. But I do also feel like, like we've been talking about, it does run the risk of, of just kind of Crowding the scene and making, making each mantle maybe a little bit less, less distinct. How do you feel about this?
1: Yeah, I I mean, I think that the most natural comparison is the Batman family. Um, I, I think that the some of these other ones like are have their idiosyncrasies that make it a little bit harder to like really get into. But I think like the like that that shot from i think it was scott snyder's run where you have like the four robins all around bruce and it's just like that that timeline just doesn't make any sense and it certainly makes starts to get weird when you consider that the last one is the son of the main character um it's definitely the one that makes tim drake especially feel like the hardest one to like really have like a clear role for because like at least dick is the original robin and this is the you know this is not even the, the successor. It's not even the successor who, you know, quote unquote died. It's the, it's the third one who's not even the final one. So like who, who cares? I think it's a little different when we're talking about Superman stuff, because at least Connor is a clone. And at least we have this shared element of like superpowers for the most part, um, you know, minus the, the steals, the like the steel subfamily of Superman stuff. Um, so there is this like impetus of, of like, well, for one thing, there is a genetic link between these characters. There is a, a responsibility to make sure that everyone who has powers are nurtured and like cultivated to be the best people they can be, and like for Superman to take them under his wing. So I think those are all like good elements there. But then it's then it becomes a matter of clear, you know, just like I said, like clearly delineating all these ones because once you bring in Power Girl into this conversation too, then we're talking about like well, there's kind of two Supergirls in that regard, um, and at least one of them always had her own code name. But but when we get into the Superboy stuff, they've always shared one sort of, and now we're trying to like call him Superman, but it's only when he's like away, but then Superboy book is man of tomorrow. So <laughs> like uh they're the, the age thing is a hard one to really like have a specific here's, here's the role now, because they're all kind of like blurred into the sort of generic, like young person kind of phase uh, without really clear personality differences either, because they both are kind of just like good people.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I guess where, I, where I ultimately land is in fairness and I'll try to be positive here. Maybe there's no ideal scenario, especially because all of these characters have their fans, right. And when one of them goes away, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's disappointing to that group. So if the, you know, DC's, if they're erring on the side of, well, we'll have everybody represented here. Right. And, and really, uh, you know, we see it with the Green Arrow family and Flash family and the Green Lantern Corps and the Superman family, you know it's like they're kind of embracing everything and and kudos to that I, you know maybe there's more value to this than 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 i'm necessarily recognizing i guess and once again i, I really feel like maybe just more and more just like cranky old old man fan <laughs> at this point but <clears throat> i do feel like one thing that i don't even know how do i put this but there is there's a sense of 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 loss that's been lost in the current state of DC where all of these characters are back where I use Flash as the example you know reading the adventures of Wally West all those years and and you know Barry was gone and that was something that kind of w- was always hanging over Wally but Barry was a source of inspiration he'd have his occasional returns via time travel or visions or flashbacks or whatever and so the character was still represented in a way but there was the sense of yeah like this something has been lost but we're carrying on the legacy and now it's just yeah Everyone's back and everyone who's been dead has been back and characters who, like it, I talked about this last week or the week before, but it, I, I really, it really kind of irks me. And it comes up in what we read here where Superboy specifically references the fact like he's been erased from reality. Like he knows he was erased from reality and he's back. <laughs> it's just like, eh, I feel like it's it's a little bit, that level of like cosmic self-awareness, I feel like makes the characters feel less real or less human to me
1: yeah i i i think that all makes sense i think that if any character is going to be fine with it it's someone in a superman family because they sort of can straddle the the extremes of of comic book reality better than anyone but i i completely agree It, it feels weird when the the main books, you know, it's different when we're talking about something that's like a, like a, an, an analogous character. Um, check off your bingo card, the Alan Moore run of Supreme where like they had all these alternate reality versions of these characters and it kind of worked just fine. But that's because it's an analog that's discussing from a meta textual level, the nature of comic books, like that's fine. But I mean, I think you're, with the Superman family where Superman's never really been replaced the way Barry was like all these other characters have always just sort of had kind of like sub designations. And if it was a book where you say it's the Superman family and we didn't worry about having code names for everyone, like it was like, it was just John and Connor and Kara and like, you were kind of just like fine with that, with that uh, and that you didn't like really stress about them having, you know, distinct branded titles for themselves. I think we would be way more fine with this one, but because there is also this, this separate drive to be like, we're going to have a book about this character and we're, what are we going to call him? I guess we're calling him Superman or I guess we're calling him Superboy, or I guess this is the super sons reunion, even though, even though they're depicted as being adults now, or, you know, like, however, because you have to have a title (laughs) and you have to have a trademark for it. It gets, it gets messier and messier than just being like, well, Superman has his son. And that's cool. (laughs) Like he also has his, his half clone with his arch nemesis. Like that's also cool. And his cousin and his alternate reality cousin and his scientist, best friend who happens to be in great shape and is dating his high school girlfriend. Like all, all these things are so great. Like, (laughs) (laughs) and here's the Chinese version of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which by the way, the doing something on that, that, new superman series from the rebirth era that introduced uh keenan it, it is kind of on my long term list and if people are interested in that in that episode i i'd be i'd be inclined to move forward on that i know we haven't covered that specifically but i would like to learn more about his character especially seeing him after seeing him here but
1: yeah i, I would come back and talk about that book that's a i think a really fun book that was doing some interesting stuff you know as a side story to superman like a, the like to. You know, it's still part of the Superman lore. It's still tied into New 52 stuff, but it's a separate character who really has to learn how to be Superman, which I think is a really cool element to that character.
0: Awesome. Hop in the Supermobile and join us for the spinoff podcast, Beyond Metropolis, available exclusively for members of my Patreon community. It's a monthly tour across the DC universe with the signature Digging for Kryptonite style applied to your other DC favorites. Additional Patreon rewards include advanced listens, sponsorships, and more. We offer regular monthly memberships, discounted annual plans, free trials, and a la carte purchases. Visit patreon.com slash anthonydesiato or click the link in the show notes for more. Thank you all. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina, for people of all ages and walks of life. With more than 40 years and a new second location to its name, Acme is a multiple-time Eisner Award nominee. The shop features a significant contemporary and vintage selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services and visit acmecomics.com for much more. All Yeah Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, a.k.a. my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have kids and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join All Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit allyeahcomics.com and follow All Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me now. Oh, yeah. So with these three arcs that we looked at, I feel like I feel like a few themes emerge. There is again, I think in in each of them, there's at least a moment that kind of speaks to what what it means to be Superman. And and again, this the compassion above all that really shines through. I think that comes across in a number of instances. I think the idea of redemption as well and second chances, uh, I think that's something that's prevalent across these between Lex's dealings with or Superman's dealings with Lex in the in the main Superman title, uh, how Superman deals with Metallo in the action arc, uh, and even how John deals with the Injustice Superman in the John Kent miniseries. And then you also see particularly across Superman and action, kind of seeing maybe the like the mid-tier, like the B-level villains, uh, getting a new spin, either in terms of power or usage or personality, backstory, potential for redemption. Uh, particularly, we see that with, uh, again, with with Parasite, with Silver Banshee, and with mm-hmm. Metallo. So, I feel like there were a few things that that uh, again really tracked and made it made it feel like we were we were in the same era with all of these books, even though they were doing their own things. Uh, Is there anything else big picture that really, that you really feel like united these three stories?
1: I mean, I think all three of these books were doing very Superman-y kind of stuff. Like the, the, most of the, the, the big players outside of all the new additions to the Superman family itself are classic characters. Like Silver Banshee is probably the newest, unless you count like, you know, Injustice Superman as being like a new character as opposed to just evil Superman, which I, I mean, we can go. I don't know the first timeline or like the first alternate timeline evil Superman that popped up, but like we've at the very least we've had Ultraman before. So it's not weird to be like, Oh yeah, there's other realities where Superman's not good. Um, but you know, we like Batalo is one of the, the most classic Superman villains, parasites, another one. Like th- these are like the super heavy hitters that he had in like in the fifties. So in terms of like what stories that we're telling, it's really a breath of fresh air to be, we can do a cool update on these characters in a modern story and have it still feel relevant and still scary in some scenarios. Like what they do with parasite is I I think incredible, uh, for making him feel like a compelling villain. Uh, so that's all really cool. And, 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 you know, I mentioned this before, the the fact that we're talking about protagonists who are not fearing for their lives in the same way that their concerns are more about the people around them and, and about doing the right thing. Um, in spite of even though there is mortal danger it's not the first thing on their mind because they have this great power of action i think that, that that all three of these books do such a great job of showing what the moral compass of the characters are and why that matters to the events that, that take place
0: agreed and i'll add one other thing particularly with with superman and action because again the john ken story that was you know, this multiversal tale, and and we'll get to that. But uh, I feel like the main books, going back to what I was saying before about the Triangle Era, I feel like they really, they're really on their way to building out the world of Metropolis and the supporting cast in a way that I feel we haven't really seen in a while. And it made me think of the Triangle Era in all of the best ways. You have... John Henry and his niece erecting this steelworks tower that's now going to be the tallest building in Metropolis and the Center for Advancement and Innovation. Uh, you have Lois stepping in as the editor-in-chief of the Daily Planet while Perry White- Which
1: I loved.
0: <laughs> it's it's a great spin, you know, while Perry is recuperating and then we see him, it's in the annual, I believe, which I didn't ask you to read, but I, I it wasn't even on my radar, but I saw it on the app and I read it. And uh, we see that Perry White's gearing up for a mayoral run uh, in that. So more to, and there are a couple of other pieces with Perry that I I do want to mention, but, uh, but, you know, having Lois as the editor in chief of the daily planet and in that annual in particular, we also get kind of a a rundown of the current crop of daily planet reporters. And, you know, we have Kat Grant on gossip and we have Steve Lombard on sports. We have Steve's sister, Lisa, who covers Mm -hmm. technology. Uh, we have Ron Troop on politics. Uh, is it Erica Edge on, on crime? Uh, so we're you know kind of rounding out the Daily Planet staff a bit in a way that we haven't seen in a while. Uh we have this Blue Earth <clears throat> movement that's protesting the alien refugees who have come to Earth from Warworld, uh which of course, you know heavy political allusions there that, that we can see. Uh but yeah, I mean I feel like there were
1: Yeah, I will say that re reading that arc in the last week uh which Based on geopolitical events, uh, hits hit, hits different than I than probably it even would have two weeks ago.
0: <laughs> yeah, there's. I mean, look, there are things that that are there. I, I feel like they're, You know, clearly there was. You know, the, the intent was to pull on on what's going on in the real world. I mean, early on in the Speeding Bullets arc in Action Comics, Lex Luthor sends Metallo to destroy the Steelworks Tower because, like I said a minute ago, it's now going to be the tallest building in the city. And, of course, we've talked about how the modern era version of of Luther was modeled after Trump. And as someone who remembers Trump on the news on or right after 9-11 talking about how now his building was the top. Ta- right. So it's like literally we've had a, an mm-hmm. actual example of that. Uh, so Lex wanting to take down the building that would take take the places as, as the tallest one totally tracked. Like it was like, oh, yeah, that's that's what he would do. Uh, so, but anyway, all that's all that to say that I feel like as far as this world of Metropolis and the supporting cast and, and of course, super corp, right? Lex corp turns into this, uh, Superman. Well, I mean, we'll get into all of this, but uh, I really liked, uh, again, just kind of how they were building this out. And it made me feel like those triangle days. Did you have a similar, a similar, get that similar vibe at all?
1: Um, the, the thing I was flashing to the most was, uh, I I had this thesis when I was uh, looking at the new 52 Superman, specifically the action comics run that it's interesting to note what kind of become the core elements of introducing Superman's like larger world uh, in, in every adaptation. Like I I made a comparison between that and like the animated series. um, And more recently with super um, with my adventures with Superman, like there's this vibe of like, okay, these are some of the characters and the types of things that you fit into the world that like, make sense and feel archetypally superman. Like when I was saying it felt like the most superman type story. Well, yeah, I mean again, we're talking about some of his most classic villains and they're being updated in ways that feel really effective um that you know the supercore arc I will get into more but like it's like here's a, a dynamic way of reevaluating le- reevaluating Lex Luthor and like changing their dynamic right there like playing on like the tropes of of modern storytelling how like superheroes interact with this with the world um with the action comic stuff like having you know metallo be this scary figure to them i mean specifically when he's dealing with a bunch of supers that's where he's at his most powerful you know dealing with the upgrades that they've sort of established uh working through like, like having him uh be a threat to them having you know a personal reason for him to have that threat and then, honestly, tying him into a character that I've always felt should have been tied into Metallo from the get-go in a way that I perfectly loved. Um, there, there's only one step removed from how far I would love to, for, for them to take it. Uh, but that's with you know when when they roll into the Cyborg Superman, um, that's so perfect because it's always been like, well, wait, wait, those are two separate characters. That feels like that's wrong, um, and if Cyborg Superman had just been Metallo plus Bizarro. especially in this sort of like reinvention of the character where they kind of de-emphasize the whole, like I can reshape every machine and it's more, I can like, you know, put my consciousness, you know, wirelessly into other things. You could have gotten there so close. It's so close. All
0: right. So on on this note, let's, let's start with the action comics. So yeah, just as kind of the, the core aspects of this and the main beats uh, in this speeding bullets arc. So we have again, the unveiling of the, the new steelworks, and there's a nice—actually, this gets called back in the John Kent miniseries as well, but there's a nice callback in in this action arc to a conversation that Clark and John had uh, in the Son of Kal-El series where John had said, like, why don't you do more, basically? Why don't you insert yourself more in world affairs? Mm-hmm. And Clark's answer at the time was essentially that he's not of this world. It's not his place. Uh, and again, there's, I think, a great, uh, you know very effective callback to that in the John Kent miniseries. But, Even in this action arc, Clark tells the family, he's like, you know, John had asked me this, and now it is time to do more, to lead, uh, and that the Steelworks uh, unveiling is is a big part of that. And while all of this is going on, again, we have these Blue Earth protesters. We have, initially, it's Lex Luthor manipulating Metallo to attack Steelworks. But then, as the story progresses, we find out that uh, once Lex is kind of done with him, Uh, that it's the cyborg Superman who is exerting his influence on Metallo. And I was happy for that because as I was reading it, I'm like, well, we have this whole business in the Superman title of (laughs) Lex and Superman working together. It's very tentative and tenuous, but they are working together. And so the idea that Lex is pulling Metallo's strings throughout the story didn't ring true. So when we had that pivot, that there was this other force at work, uh, that that certainly, uh, you know, tracked for me. And like we've been getting at, we are given more depth to, to Metallo here. We get what I believe is entirely new backstory. I'm not aware of any other incarnation of this where we learn about this uh, the sister that he has, who's you know it's kind of like his last connection to humanity, uh, and an abusive childhood home that they grew up in, and a gun that young John Corbin uh, was given by his father, who seemingly accidentally shot his uncle. Uh, and was told to discard this gun in the river. But instead, John felt the power of the gun and didn't discard it and actually ultimately used it to shoot and kill their father in one of his uh, you know, uh, uh, abusive episodes. Uh, and that kind of set him on this path to eventually becoming the gun uh, through this experimentation and his evolution as Metallo. I guess my first question is, as far as this backstory for John and the business with the gun. How, how did that land with you? Did you feel like that added a compelling aspect? What was your reaction?
1: I, I thought that they did a really good job of synthesizing the different origins of Metallo here to sort of make here's a, a version that you can understand and you can kind of, if you wherever you jumped on, you'll be like, no, nah, this is fine. I can I can roll with this. I, I don't recall a sister, but wasn't it a
0: brother initially? Maybe, I don't remember. I don't remember.
1: Um, so I, I think a family connection wasn't that weird either I, I thought they did a really good job here I it, it there's no spot where it, like maybe a specific like aspect of his of, uh, of his background was being changed here but because it came across as taking the very different new 52 metallo with sort of the more traditional takes on metallo we've seen especially the one like the John Byrne one that inspired the animated series one I, I think that they did a really good job here of making it if you know like enough about metallo you're not lost and it doesn't sound wrong and it's it's a good refresher for anyone uh and it's done well and that's sort of like regardless of like how you know like how precise like how well researched any sort of like work on these kind of like retcons or retellings of a story like if the story's not good it's not going to matter and in this case the it's a very compelling take on metallo you can feel the angst that he's going through um, you get this counterpoint with his sister, especially at the end when she's starting to sort of uh, deal with the same side of things of being trapped in a robot body and the, the kind of, you know, insanity that comes from not being able to to taste and to touch and, you know, all of those aspects of being human. Uh, like I said, I don't think because they were very clearly taking different versions of Metallo and combining them, it didn't bother me that anything may or may not be like established canonically already at this point. Uh, and, and like I said, it was, it, it had a really strong emotional through line and that, that carried me the whole way.
0: Oh, no, I, no, I agree. Yeah. I mean, as far as any potential retcon, I, I you know, again, I don't know that there are many, or I'm sure there are some, uh, Metallo, <laughs> you know, Metallo experts out there who might've felt strongly about this, but no, I, I certainly had no issue with any, any potential retcons. Uh, I mean, yeah. And just as far as how well it, it tracked. Yeah. I mean, I think it worked and I, I appreciated the attempt to, to kind of add some layers to this character, who I think it's easy for Metallo to be played as kind of one note, right? So to actually show that that he has this connection through his sister and to get more of a sense of how he how he became this way, I, I guess I had I have to I'll be delicate in my wording here because uh, I don't I, I guess I had a little bit of a of a mixed reaction to the business about what the what holding the gun kind of awakened in him. And I maybe just needed a little bit more there. For the record, I am a proponent of gun control. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying that there's no danger to that. It was just that, I, I don't know, maybe I just would have wanted to, because the way it's painted, it's like he's this good kid and he's, you know, drawing and he's got this imagination. And then when he holds his gun and doesn't throw it away, like, it, again, it it seems to kind of, kind of awaken something in him. And then it's unleashed in this moment where he's defending his sister and sets him on this path. And I don't know. I think I just wanted a little bit more of what, what was going through his, his mind. I mean, how did, how did you feel about all that?
1: I, I mean, the gun metaphor for, I mean, first of all, it made me think of the iron giant uh pretty heavily throughout every time it was brought up. Um, so there, th- earlier in the, in the arc, there's, there's a point where he's approached by some blue earthers and they point guns at him. And he's like, Oh, like, those are pretty nifty i i kind of miss the feeling of having a gun in my hand it's not as powerful as super strength but it like specifically as just like this this tool of violence that it you can be a, a weakling and like you can be a child scared of his parents uh, and then all of a sudden it's this power of action like bestowed upon you but it's it's so linear it's, it's you aim and and you hurt a person and that's the only thing to it 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 read true for what the character was going for, that he has been turned into this weapon, that it became this like totem of, uh, of power for him that we, he was fixated on as a youth that has, has evolved into him just totally becoming that. And now he regrets it and, and, you know, curses that, that aspect that it, it read fine for me, I guess is what I'm getting at.
0: Okay. No, 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 that's, that's fair. And I appreciate getting your take. Yeah. Like I said, I think maybe I just wanted a little, a little bit more there, but, uh, but again, I, I appreciated the backstory and, I think the biggest compliment I can pay Johnson and Rafa Sandoval, the artist, the creative team on this, is that the story didn't go in the direction that I was thinking. I know Johnson had talked in early interviews about how he wanted to use Metallo, and there were seeds for the story planted in the Callel Returns story uh that led into this so this was building for a little while where you know you had Lex, you had tracy visiting john corbin in prison and then lex visiting him and Mm -hmm. uh you know ultimately tracy is set up for murder and is in prison and that's the leverage that lex is exerting on him and then cyborg takes it to an extreme by making him think that superman has taken uh, tracy from prison and hidden her somewhere and done all these but actually it's cyborg turning her into uh, a machine as well but the fact that it ultimately becomes this story of redemption uh, was a really pleasant surprise. And I think it creates a whole new lane for the character of Metallo, but also shows the best of what Superman can be uh, where, and there are a couple of instances of this, even before we get to Metallo himself uh, in one of the Metropolis street battles with the necro drones where Metallo can you know essentially create uh, other mechanical corpses for lack of a better term but
1: real quick did you have a flashback to whatever happened to the man of tomorrow oh when that happened?
0: no but yes you're right oh you're totally (laughs) right yeah it's just like this with all the metallos on the street yes oh that's a great that's a great callback but there's a moment where there's one of them who still has some signs of life and and clark tells keenan the chinese superman to take this to take this necro drone to get help And Keenan says something along the lines of, you know, this, this person would have murdered your family. It's like you, you, you would still help them. Uh, and Superman's like, yeah. And basically says, if, if we don't like, this is all he'll ever be. This is all he ever can be. And every, all he ever, all he can ever do. Uh, but if we give him that chance, right, he could be something, you know, there's more potential there. There's more story to be told. And I really like that. And you see that resonate with, with that character. And later on in the story, he has another opportunity to do, to make a similar save. And he does.
1: Yeah. It was a really beautiful line.
0: Yeah, it, it was, it was great. And then kind of along that same track where you start to see the potential for Metallo's, uh, redemption as well, when, uh, essentially, Superman and and family are are you know get the better of Metallo and and Corbin says something along the lines of like okay like you know you know take care of me now you've beaten me and Clark says you know what what do you think I'm going to do like put my put my boot on your neck and humiliate you it's like is that how little you think of me and he helps Metallo and he's like you know you'll basically you'll pay for what you've done right and so he's not disav you know he's he's still acknowledging the reality of what, what Metallo has done but he says you know right now you're your sister clearly needs the both of us, right? And so he works with Metallo and he says to him, anybody, Metallo says basically you would, you would help me after this. And Clark's like, anyone would. And there's a great callback at the end uh, of, of this arc where we're at Steelworks and Steelworks is helping John Corbin. And uh, Natasha says to Clark, you know, don't tell me anyone would help Metallo because you know, that's not true. And it's just, I love this aspect of the character. And it's something we've talked about on this podcast before. The idea of like, he does what he does because he believes that other people in a similar situation would would do the same, right? He just is able to do so much more. But this belief in other people is so core to the character. I just, I, I love this aspect and I love the way it played out here. Uh, you know, Natasha's line though about, you know, don't say anyone would do the same. You know, that's not true. I guess what, what do you think about that? And, and this notion of like what Clark actually believes. Because it's one thing to say, like, yeah, anybody would do the same. But he also knows the, rea- I mean, he believes in humanity, but he also has seen the darker side of it and he knows the reality of it. I guess when he says something to Corbin, like anyone anyone would help you find your sister, despite what you've done. Does does he believe that? Or he just, he wants to believe it. Like, where do you think he, he, he is internally on that?
1: I, I mean, I think that the role of Superman in this, in this book specifically, because there are so many characters with him, is that he is modeling how to be Superman to a bunch of characters in it. Uh, the twins, especially, like they're coming from Warworld and they have, you know, a very kind of warped perception of like what morality is. Um, it, it, but but also, I mean, even even Kara. But like, I mean, obviously John and Connor are both kind of in situations like this, and and Keenan too. Like like all three of them look up to Superman specifically as a a as a father figure for how they should model their behavior. And in this scenario, he might not necessarily believe that anyone would, but he does believe that in the same circumstance, anyone could, and certainly believes that anyone should. So I think it's him trying to manifest this, this, you know, and by virtue of him in this scenario, being a dad by, by, or at the very least the, the leader and the the moral beacon for so many characters that he is trying to make sure that he is walking the walk and that everyone else is seeing that walk <laughs> and learning to emulate it. And maybe that requires a little bit of talk to sort of like buff it up a, a bit more.
0: No, that's a great, that's a great take. And I think the, the, what you said about, even if he doesn't deep down, believe anyone would that anyone could part. I think that is, I think that is key here because Metallo in that scene, Metallo says to him, I wouldn't, Right? When Clark's like anyone anyone would help you despite what you just like I wouldn't and Clark says well maybe not maybe not now but maybe one day you will right and this ties in with again what he told Keenan as far as saving that Necro drone right if you don't save him and he dies now this is all he'll ever be and shifting over for a second to the to the Josh Williamson Superman story where Lex has made this offer to to help Superman to work with Superman and you know, Lois, uh, Clark has a couple of exchanges with Lois about this and, and, and working with Lex. And early in the story, he says, you know, I feel like Lex is the only person I ever gave up on. And Lois is like, well, Lex gave up on Lex. But then later on, Clark, at the end of that arc that we read, Clark is talking to Lois about this idea of second chances, right? And how mm-hmm. he got the ultimate second chance, right? Crypt- he would have died on Krypton, but for Jor-El and Lara, who gave him that second chance of the rocket, right? That was found by the kindly couple, uh, and so again, this idea of the power, yeah, of I, I will say what chances. he said, that, that that felt like a reach, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
1: like, like it's an inspiring story, but like specifically the point you're making, I don't feel like it quite conveys it. It's not like you were a, ma- it's not like you were Lobo as a child.
0: <laughs> True. Oh, well, that is fair. But, but again, <laughs> even, again, just a sort of that, that thematic through line across the books, right. Of, of this idea of looking for the best and creating I guess creating the potential for even your greatest enemy to show you a different side, turn over a new leaf and 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 start start over. So, yeah, on the Metallo side, it was cool. and so it's funny because uh, as the, my audience has heard uh, many, many times, right? ton of affection for the death and return of Superman, uh, reign of the Superman, the cyborg Superman. Yet, I do feel like the character I feel like there are only so many things <laughs> you can do with cyborg Superman. And it's funny because whenever Cyborg Superman pops up, I will always have people like let me know like oh I saw he's back, and there's a part of me I guess that kid from the '90s who who grew up reading it who's who's excited at the prospect, but the the, the adult in me is kind of like all right like what are we going to see that we haven't seen before? And so when we got the reveal that it was it was Cyborg Superman, it it didn't do a ton for me, but I agree with you. I think tying Cyborg into Metallo is a natural, so I I like that, and I feel like that that was. Uh, that was a, a clever bit of business, and the fact that this ultimately wasn't a story about Metallo the villain, right? It was about Metallo and his potential to maybe be something else. And by having Cyborg Superman in there, right? That's now their their chief antagonist, and we can see Metallo working with the Superman family. So it it created that uh, that that potential there. So uh, yeah, I, I was I was really happy with this arc overall.
1: Yeah, it was, it was fun to get a heel face turn from Metallo. Um, I did not see that coming at the start of the arc. Like, just didn't look like it was going to go there. Uh, but it, w- it was done very well. It's, it's good to have, like, this juxtaposition between the two Superman. So many Supermans in this whole thing. The fact that we get to the Cyborg Superman in it, and also the Eradicator shows up. Like, <laughs> how many characters can we have with a big red S on their chest? Uh, but the fact that the Cyborg Superman is this counterpoint to original flavor, Superman, like the, (laughs) and he's got the cybernetics going with him too. And like, there's, so there's this visual similarity between it. It, it, it looks like here's the fusion of it all, but it's actually the more extreme twisted, you know, it, you know, Cyborg Superman, same situation with Metallo where he's become so desensitized to all of his human wants and needs that he is pretty much slipped into this amoral, you know, state of insanity. And he's fully embraced that. And Metallo has this tether, which is his sister and that that, has, that is what pulls Metallo back from going just as far.
0: I'm glad you brought up the Eradicator. I did think that was great when Clark activates him in the fortress uh, to to uh, to find Cyborg Superman, right? Because the Eradicator is all about the purity of Kryptonian DNA, and Cyborg is a corruption of that. So it made sense. And of course, yes, it's a further reunion of the reign of the Superman characters. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> Like, he's talking about how, like, oh, do you want me to take care of this half human, half Kryptonian uh, right. John Ten <laughs> and the half human, half Kryptonian clone Connors? Like, that was, I thought that was, that was fun. Uh, oh, and then there's, uh, speaking of John, there was, there's also this uh, subplot of John feeling, feeling a bit left out with the super twins there, right? Lois and Clark have really taken them in. And Uh, I guess it hadn't fully dawned on John, like how much a part of their family they're becoming. And he also hadn't recognized how much that lost time with his parents, how much of a toll that had taken. Because now he's seeing these young kids, right? Having the time with Lois and Clark that he was deprived of when he was taken on his interstellar journey with Jor-El and abducted by Ultraman and stuck in a volcano for years. Uh, I don't know. You know what's funny? I don't know if that John felt like the same John from the John Kent miniseries who, who just felt, I was, Yeah. Yeah. Go for like,
1: it. I, so I unfortunately read these in not the right order for like some of those emotional payoffs. I actually read this in, in adventures of Superman, John Kent, Superman, and then action comics chunks, which meant that <laughs> second Luther is like showing up, like manipulating bizar- uh, Metallo. I'm like, wait a second, hold, hold up. And I, at least they address it pretty fast, but like John Kent, if this was the setup for him kind of like dealing with his feelings and really like exploring them. And then that goes into having to deal with Ultraman in his series. That's cool. I'm not sure on the timeline and I'm not sure if readers got that, like, you know, it, it what, it would be important to really explore the trauma of living inside a volcano for what, like five years.
0: I'll, I'll never, uh, I'll never be a fan of what they did to John Kent. No, no, God, no. Just on 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 multiple levels, I hate that, and I don't mean to belabor the point. We've talked about this before, but I, I, I get, I, I mean, I get the instinct to want to ha- to age him up a bit, but I feel like that just it came at the expense of of the great character that we had. And I, I mean, I like older John, I do, but I hate the way we got there. I feel like if there had been some scenario where we have younger John and a, an older time traveling John or something like that, but the idea that that, low, that this family was robbed of that time and that this young boy was subjected to years in this volcano uh, by an evil version of his father, I, yeah, I mean, I just – I'll never like it.
1: Yeah, I mean, like there's certainly effective components to that. Like the idea that his torturer was Ultraman who has his father's face is like, yeah, no, that is a really messed up situation to be in. Like I fully – could see how that would be a striking cinematic bit, but again, exactly the aging up kind of sacrificed what was a unique character in the form of this young John Kent who operated as a Superboy that we didn't have at the time, nor have we had really since the days of young Clark being Superboy. And like even those weren't the main stories; like it was it was rare to see him be like depicted as that young. Um, but it, it was nice to have that distinct, unique character, and then. If they wanted to have the slightly older version of it, they had Connor Kent.
0: <laughs> That's the thing. I feel like even if they had aged him up a little, right, maybe he's 15, right? So he's a little bit. And whether they did it artificially through various comic book means or, you know, or they just kind of allowed him to age in real time, even though the rest of the characters are not, if I I could, I could live with that little bit of a cheat, but, but to have, you know, yeah, maybe like that 14, 15 year old. So exactly to your point. So you get, and then that would, that would, I think solve the problem that we're having with, with uh, Connor and John, right. As these contemporaries that we were struggling to tell apart, but right. in, In any event, John's got that going on in, in that action comics arc. Is there anything else about speeding bullets that we didn't talk about that you wanted to,
1: um, talked about the world tie-ins. Um, I mean, we haven't really talked about the twins that much. I do. I I like them as a, as a general concept. I think it's a good idea to like explore how John is responding to, to all that. I think, I, I I think that is a heartfelt thing and it's going to be cool to see these two characters deal with such a hostile situation. Like we already teased it a little bit with the, with, um, I can't remember the respective names. It's, Oslo or uh,
0: yeah, the one who actually
1: attacked a person and -hmm. that turned out to be a (laughs) Yes, So we didn't get the full sting of her going too far. You know, we didn't. So I'm sure we'll see something kind of like that at some point um, where these characters who were brought up in this, you know, very different society and also didn't have this, you know, this level of power uh, on that society um, is, is now, you know, sort of responding to, well, I'm dealing with a problem in the, you know, the most like harsh way possible and having to have Superman kind of step in. And maybe they don't want to go quite that far in this book because it's a Superman book. This isn't Invincible. This isn't, you know, some other book that's kind of like dealing with those archetypes. Um, This is where we actually spend the time having a character, like having the characters all ultimately be good people. Like with no one really betraying their morals and really like crossing any particular line. So maybe maybe we don't go that far, but I I think that as a narrative, as a narrative device, they are going to be useful at this point. They're mostly there so that the other characters can sort of like feel their feelings about how they approach situations. Again, you know, with Clark, he, he is way more so than even just with John around, like really feeling like, how does he be a role model to these, to these two? And I think with John, we're seeing him actually deal with trauma that never really got a chance to be explored before. Uh, So that's also good to do. Uh, you know, even if we don't like that, that trauma exists because the story, you know, didn't need to happen, (laughs) you know, they didn't need to Franklin Richards him, uh, like that, especially, especially where, like, what were you doing? I was sitting in a, in a rock for this whole time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, no, I know, I know. Well, but no, I, I agree with the, with the twins. I think that, uh, there's, I think there's a lot of potential there. I hope it gets fully realized. I, I, I mean, I wonder, especially with Johnson leaving action, if If we'll get to see that, but look i love I love Clark lois and Clark, but especially Clark in that parental role uh to have them you know they have their son by birth, but now to have them adopt these kids just like Clark was adopted, but to adopt them at an older age than Clark was found right there are a lot a lot of dynamics I play here, and then yes, the fact that they are these alien refugees in this world now beset by this blue earth movement it, it creates a it creates a lot of a lot of paths for them to take so uh, I'm, I'm curious to see where it goes, but I enjoyed, I enjoyed the speeding bullets of it all. I guess maybe continuing on this John Kent theme. So we have this John Kent miniseries by Tom Taylor and, and Clayton Henry. And
1: should, should we pivot or should we like stay on the, the backup stories that are in action? Or were you not planning on co- talking about those?
0: I think in the interest of time, I don't know that we'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll totally unpack those. But, uh, but actually, yeah, before we, before we pivot, uh, I guess, what what would you like to say about them?
1: Uh, I don't have a lot to say about the Superman and Lois story. I think that it's kind of like, Oh, Hey, here's more, you know, doomsday (laughs) illusions going on and all there. And it's like, nice to see a young John Kent again. Um, But I don't really have a lot of like strong feelings about that particular one. The power girl one. I love power girl as a character. It's she's so hard to fit into DC post-crisis, just a, just every version has been very difficult to explain and has gotten weirder and weirder. Um, I don't love that they decided to rename her from Karen to Page. That just didn't quite seem to ring true for what we've dealt with the character. But the idea that she has psychic powers now and that that's sort of like playing into her role as like sort of a psychic therapist, I think that's different. And I'm 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 here for it. I I enjoyed. I, I enjoyed seeing her interact with Supergirl and actually spending some time trying to establish differences between them. And I kind of wish that I, Supergirl in general has kind of become more like power girl over the years. Like she's a little bit sterner, a little bit like uh, uh, a bit more mature, you know, like the decision to make her the older cousin to to Superman instead of his younger cousin, when they brought her back in, um, in Superman, Batman that f- from that point on has led to this sort of like take on Kara that is, like I said, just a little bit more reminiscent of where we were with power girl to begin with. Um, and so like finding a space for them separately will be good. It was nice to have them there. Um, but I don't know. It's so hard to keep track of even what this power girl is because we've had multiple reality ones and we've had overlapping reality, multi, you, know, you know, like the whole timeline for DC. It's like, yeah, everything's canon. But at a certain point you're like, but, but is there, a, is there another power girl? I can't even remember anymore at this point out there.
0: I know it's 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 funny because I like when I think about Power Girl, I feel like I really met and and got to know the character through her tenure with the Justice Society during the nineties two thousands run, and so kind of in that space, that's kind of what I think of of the character, not so much in the context of the Superman family, so. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like this just kind of uh, speaks to this larger issue that, we, <laughs> that we've been seeing here. So I don't know. I like I liked the character. I think it's, a, it's, again, it's a tough one with that backstory and an already very crowded super family. But hopefully they find a place for her that, that fits. Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of comics from every publisher and time period along with action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose and Whippany the next time you're in the Garden State, and be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam is based in the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They're also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at szlcomics to see their latest comic pickups and shop adventures. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and Round Reel in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Take it from an alum of two of them. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. So, again, this John Kent miniseries, I really had enjoyed the Son of Kal-El series. I was This was one that I was looking forward to. It's funny, I... I always try to be honest with myself when I, when I am going through this stuff. And I noticed that before I started each of these arcs uh, I, you know, I had a certain kind of gut feeling like I had enjoyed the war world saga. So heading into speeding bullets, I was, I was excited. I was like, oh, this would be good. Similar with, uh, with son of Kalel. hot on the heels of dark crisis, which I was really not that big a fan of. I, I was definitely, definitely more skeptical when I started the Josh Williamson Superman series. I had to take a step back and be like, all right, look, the crisis thing was its own thing. Just relax and, you know, (laughs) enjoy the story. But I, I just, I felt myself having that gut feeling of like, all right, let's do this. Like, let's see what you got. (laughs) So, and I ended up enjoying it. But, but with the, with the son of Kal-El, so we have uh, Val Zod and uh, the red tornado, Lois Lane, right? Uh, from the multiverse recruit John Kent to help them stop Ultraman, who has been uh, crossing the multiverse and killing different versions of Superman. And of course, this uh, conjures a lot for John, like we talked about. He had these years in prison in the volcano by Ultraman. Uh, So there's all of that history there. And uh, some great business with with John saying goodbye to Lois and to uh, to his boyfriend Jay, right? And Lois, there's this this great moment where where Lois says to Jay, like, make him promise to come back. It's like Superman, will, will never break a promise. Uh, so I thought that was a nice uh, a, a nice moment there before they make their way to what we will learn is the world of injustice. Uh, I, I guess just kind of as a as a preliminary question. What, what is your history or your feelings toward the world of injustice? Cause I know that's a whole thing.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, <laughs> uh, so there, there's a, the, the, the broader meta, which is the, I, I think it's a pretty common take by Superman fans to be like a little tired of the evil Superman tropes in, in media. Um, not that any one of them is necessarily bad or wrong. It's just, it feels like it's become very trendy in the last decade or so. Uh, and this kind of feeds into it, especially because it's a video game. And as much as we love comics, we have to acknowledge that video games have a much wider audience. Uh, it's a reason why things have carried over in Marvel because of Marvel vs. Capcom two in terms of like, oh, well that's the version that people recognize. And to a certain degree, video games like injustice, which are, you know, huge sellers are going to be ones that there's a lot of context that kind of like is going to, uh, become part of the zeitgeist because it just has such a a broad sphere of people who are paying attention to it. Um, I, that said like Tom Taylor's run on injustice stuff. Typically I've enjoyed, I haven't read it all, but I've enjoyed a lot of that. I like Taylor as a writer generally. Um, I think that he is very earnest and heartfelt in what he's trying to do. And I think that usually the areas where I have, um, any sort of like problems are usually just sort of like execution level ones. Um, or, or like some finesse to it all. Like I, I really like that he is trying to tackle social issues and a lot of what he's working on. Um, but sometimes it's like the most ham fisted kind of way. I, I don't mean like across the board, but like every now and then it'll be like, well, that that wasn't as good of a pun as you thought, or like that was a little too, a little too blunt sometimes. Um, but I like that we are trying to tackle it. I like the idea that John is this different kind of Superman and how he's approaching it. So I, I think that injustice, which is all about all the problems of the world being taken and magnified. Uh, I think Taylor did a good job with it, and I was excited to see how how Jonathan Kent was going to interact with all that because he did feel like a very different character, but coming from a writer who knows both of these things very intimately.
0: Well, well said, well said. I, I've talked about this when we covered the Injustice animated movie. The Injustice animated movie is really my only exposure to Injustice. I've never played the game, and I know the comics are well-regarded – that's uh, something that I'll probably get to at some point, but I I haven't yet. But I I appreciated the movie, even though it, it wasn't my favorite of all time. But at least I, it gave me a, a, you know some context for this, and I'm glad that I had that heading into this miniseries. It's interesting too, just like with the uh, speeding bullets, where I you know I at least thought we were going one way with Metallo as an antagonist, and then there's this potential for redemption here too. I mean, I guess I knew what to expect because it was announced that we were dealing with the injustice world. But if I didn't know that, right, just at the outset, the first issue or two, I mean, it really seems like we're dealing with the Ultraman of it all. Right. It feels like a bait and switch. Yeah.
1: Which, I mean, it, it, and it kind of is. But like, yeah, it's <laughs> it, it was surprising when it's like, oh, this is like I knew that we were building up to injustice uh, because the, the title of the arc is the road to injustice. So you're like, OK, we're getting to the injustice stuff. But it I thought going into this, that this was going to be like exiles or like sliders, like we're going to be bouncing around some different multiverse stuff. It's going to be some fun times. You know, I'm I'm always here for those kind of like, you know, like hop around the multiverse kind of antics. Um, And it was going to be fun with Tom or with uh, with John, who is, you know, not as familiar with like necessarily everything that has ever happened because so he can be an audience surrogate sometimes. Uh, and then it's really just like, oh well, well we established Earth Two, and now we're <laughs> like in a Justice Earth, like okay, uh, oh okay,
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm a little, I'm a little torn on this because I, I ultimately I liked it a lot, I really did, and I, I know fans were a bit split on the ultimate resolution between uh, you know John and Justice Superman and the tactic he employs, i.e. the hug, which we'll talk about. But I liked it. I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the story, but at the same time, going back to what we were talking about. You know, John's time with Ultraman, right, is, even though we don't necessarily like that it is a part of his history, it is, and so kind of at the outset of this, it's like, oh, okay, this, I don't, part of me wonders what the more interesting story, like, what's the more interesting story, what we got with the Injustice Superman, or if this had been more of an Ultraman piece, I don't know, but we have this battle uh, between the two of them. Ultraman banishes Valzad and Red Tornado Lois to the Phantom Zone, and John and Ultraman fight, and- John now has this new ability where he can kind of he can summon this like electrical charge right and discharge the powers that he stored up uh, and it makes him extremely powerful in that moment and that's what he uses to knock out Ultraman but it weakens him as well. So they're both down and then Ultraman gets up and he's about to, to attack John again and that's when Injustice Superman shows up and in a very striking splash page snaps Ultraman's neck. And that is our introduction to the to the world of uh, of injustice in the pages of this. Uh, and then over the over the next few issues, right, you see John getting his lay of the land, right, as far as what what this world is is all about. And he uh, again, he's at the Hall of Justice with Superman and his crew. He interacts with the rebels led by Batman. So he's he's meeting the the, the our cast of characters in this world of injustice. I thought. One of the things that I thought worked so well was when John insists on exploring the world on his own, and Justice Superman lets him, right? Mm-hmm. And John sees, you know, that again things seem to be peaceful and quiet, and he has this moment where he rescues that that young child who falls, uh, you know, off of a balcony and returns the kid to the mother, and the mother sees the S and is is scared, right? And is, uh, is apologetic, and John has this moment of of realization. It's like it's not quiet because they're peaceful it's like it's quiet because they're terrified and they're living yeah. under the thumb of this totalitarian ruler so i i liked i liked the way that that unfolded i mean what, what else what stood out to you in this yeah i i
1: like that a lot i i think that the ratio of the story was about um it should have been 50 50 ultraman to, to injustice superman and it ended, ended up being 60 40 um and i think that that's a little bit of a bummer because i would have liked more time spent with John and Ultraman so that we could have had more of a feeling of resolution for John's trauma uh, in that. But that said in Superman just snapping his neck is both a very effective scene. Uh, and also probably what he would do in this situation, especially with the whole, like he's seeing John and like, it's like, Oh, that's the one I lost. Like this, this is really classic. Like the, the, the dark Superman stuff. Whenever, whenever, we, whenever you try to do a version of Superman that isn't just like full on, like completely, you know, Ultraman evil, like, like animated series did this exact, exact thing, but with Lois, like where it's like, okay, here's the bad timeline where he's gone, you know, he's gone dark warrior duck here, but like, well, oh, Hey, it's the reappearance of Goslin. Okay, cool. Everything's fine. Like we, I like that all there. I, I really like the interaction between, uh, between injustice, Superman and, and John, I think that that carries this whole thing. And it's just kind of a bummer that this very fun premise that has this emotional payoff that we start the book with doesn't really go anywhere. And then we get into what is also a very good arc. It's just, I would have, I, I needed a little bit more. I needed some time with like, I like Valzad and I like red tornado and I would have, you know, I needed more with them to like, you know, whatever the plans are for them. Um, but then once we get him onto the injustice world, I mean, he is doing what I I said, be the audience, the audience surrogate. Like, you know, no one can say, oh, it's the injustice earth. Like no one knows what that means. That's not a thing. Aside from the fact that this Superman's costume is terrible. uh, (laughs) Like it's, it's, it seems to be like just a different version of Superman with a, like a fairly functional world. Like I, I like that the Superman that we get, the way Taylor writes the injustice Superman is especially when he's talking to John at the beginning, but like is still Superman in a lot of ways. Like there are these moments where he like is so compassionate or so reasonable in his conversation that you have to like, take a step back and be like, Oh, but look at all the atrocities you've become okay with. Like look at all the evil you've learned to look a blind eye to and, or are perpetrating. Um, And obviously we get the setup. Like it's a a dramatic, you just murdered a man. Like that's that's not a Superman thing to do at all. Um, But it makes so much sense when he explains it, it feels like it's not that wrong for this character to do it. He's lost so much, you know, like he's, he's a Superman who's seen some stuff, but at the same time, he's like, still seems to be sympathetic and empathetic to the world and, and, and still a Superman type character that John can kind of gravitate towards and be like, oh, but you are still very much like my dad. And again, if they had dealt more with like the whole like traumatic nature of like dealing with Ultraman, we could have dealt with the whole fact that like, like effectively like people with superman's face with john's dad's face have been like all these like important people in his life and not just his actual dad
0: yes oh that's very true no i yeah uh, yeah i mean the thing with injustice superman is I again i i agree with you i think all of us as superman fans tire of the evil superman trope but I think there is a reason why right, this injustice version has been so popular because I think it, this isn't a Superman who's just unhinged, right? It's not Ultraman. You know, there's a there's a reason why he went down this path, and no, it's not it's not the path we would see our Superman going down. Certainly not to that extent, but at least the starting point for it, you un, you have an understanding of where this character is coming from, and enough of the core is still there where I th- I think it does it does stay interesting. So. Uh, what I, one of the things I really like throughout the John Kent miniseries and even going back to son of Keller, I, I like the way Taylor handles the character and the, the thoughtfulness, like, and they have some fun with this when Val Zod shows up and introduces himself and John's like Zod and Val Zod is like, yeah, I know it's probably weird for you, but they don't, they don't resort to fighting. Right. And they even yeah, address that I on really the next I really like that moment. Yeah. Yeah, so that was cool. And then even when John is on the the world of injustice, and of course, you know, he's getting a sense things are not right, but he does his due, due diligence, right? And he is very, very methodical, right? And talking with Damien and Batman and his crew uh, and going to see this world version of Jay Nakamura, right? Mm-hmm. And getting his sense about how the people feel about all of this. So there's, you know, there's that thoughtfulness throughout. And while like his father, you know, really leads with this compassionate heart, Not a pushover either, because there's that scene with Harley Quinn, who's part of Batman's Rebels, and, you know, she's essentially seeking forgiveness, right, for her role in working with the Joker and this plot that led to Lois's death at the hands of Superman. And as compassionate as John is, right, he's not going to go so far as to say, oh, it's okay, right? He says, like, no, like, you have to live with this. Like, you're asking forgiveness. Like, that's not something I can give, essentially. Uh, And so I like that. I like that there were limits to that, to that compassion, and also, going back to what we were talking about earlier, one of the things that I think makes the story so interesting is is that conversation that John had with Clark early on in that Son of Kal-el series. Why don't you do more? Because mm-hmm. at the outset, right at the beginning, at the beginning of John's tour of this Earth, it seems like things are great, <laughs> right? Yeah. And it seems like the answer to that question of well, look, like I asked me like why doesn't he do more? Well, well, this is a Superman who did more, and look what he was able to bring about, and. By the end of the story, John has realized the cost of all of this. And on that final page, he realizes, you know, it's not that it would be too hard. It would be too easy for my dad, right, to exert his will on the world in this way. So I liked I liked that clarity that the story gave to John.
1: Yeah, and I, this is one where, again, there's no obvious signifiers out front that this is a twisted timeline of things have gone wrong. You know, aside from the fact that you're aware that Lois has died and that Superman is like a little bit more edgy as a result, uh, he still, again, is coming off as a, a fairly you know reasonable Superman as opposed to if they tried to do it with, you know, say Red Sun Superman, where, you know, it is the same basic idea of a Superman who cares so much that he's put the whole world in a bottle effectively and, you know, has created this, you know, fascist regime that's like running everything down or or authoritarian regime, I guess I should say uh, in that particular case. Like, you know, it could also have been Justice Lords, but like each each one of these versions of like, here's a twisted timeline Superman, you're going to have to deal with, well, and how have they taken it and, and what is going to be the tip off before and versus later. And obviously Tom Taylor was writing all the Injustice books. So he's, you know, very familiar with the setting with he has world building he wants to work with. He has all the stuff to do, but also it's a world where aside from the yellow lanterns, like there isn't really an obvious indication when you look at like, here's the Hall of Justice, here's the Justice League, here's everything. Like it feels like it's just the normal world except, you know, a few bad things have happened. And so, but also a few good things have happened. It's like slightly different, but it it, it doesn't feel as, as different as it would if it was just like, well, it's the Soviet Empire or whatever you wanted to say for that one.
0: Yes, yes. It was funny to me when you know, John John has decided he's going to confront Injustice Superman. He's going to free Batman and Harley Quinn and prevent this public execution that Superman is planning. But he knows he has to He has to account for Superman's allies. And so he goes to Barry first, right? And they have this whole conversation, right, at super speed uh, that they're able to share all of their ideas. And they come to this kind of understanding. And then with, like, Hawkgirl, he just, like, knocks her out. Um, With Al Jordan still. her wing, so she
1: becomes yeah. girl, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I really like that moment.
0: But I liked, I liked the the strategy, right? I liked that he was he was, you know, taking all of this into account, and you know, and then that brings us to this to this climax and this this encounter between John and Injustice Superman, and I guess there are a couple of main beats to it. You know, one is where. Injustice, Superman is essentially saying, you know, if you know, it was a natural response, right, to losing to losing Lois, and and John is like, no, like as Superman, like you have to be above that, above that, that that anger and that rage, and Superman tests him by taking, you know, this world's J and breaking his, I don't know, his hand, his wrist. I forget exactly what it is, but he, he yeah, I
1: mean, it's his forearm. I, I, it's like I think it's just past the wrist. It looked like it was like the i I am bad at anatomy uh, but it, it's it's the mid forearm like, where he does it.
0: so he does some damage and and to see John right, you don't know exactly how he's going to react. he starts to charge up, right you see that electrical charge building and he's charging at Superman, and this is i think I think this was the look not that not that Twitter should ne- necessarily be our gauge on what everyone is thinking, but i just from what I saw on there, it seemed like there were some strong reactions to this that. Uh, John's reaction is to charge in, no pun intended, and hug Superman and say, "Like I'm sorry that this happened to you." How, how did you feel about that that moment?
1: Uh, so I had seen the the Twitter responses to it. I wasn't thinking about it until I got into the scene. I was like, "Oh right, there that's the thing." I thought I I thought it worked. I I liked it a lot. And there's there's more context to it too. But like him showing the lowest clip and then than the the actual hug and as he's fading away so you know or like I think some people feel like the resolution isn't there but like you have to remember that this Injustice Superman is not like it's not Ultraman it's not the character he's had like you know huge terrible feelings with like he hasn't had battles like this is yeah he is objectively a villain in this scenario but it is still one who has the face of his father who can come off as reasonable like they're like it makes sense That John Kent, specifically John Kent, like not just a superhero in general, but that John Kent would try to reach out to this person, especially when it's a person who is his dad and who has this glimmer of the Superman he knows that he could reach and trying to reach him. Because, you know, it doesn't matter if you take Superman out. They they say that you still have the Justice League to deal with. Like he doesn't he's not going to fix the world by killing someone. He's going to fix the world by fixing the people. And so I, I, I like the hug. I think, it, I think it works well. I think you can see how it's it's starting to sway the thing and then Cyborg shows up and it sort of like leaves it open. Also, it means that you can still do more stories in Injustice without necessarily like locking it down. We haven't like, you know, all the pieces are still on the board. It's just like now there might be a change of heart for Superman.
0: Yeah, and maybe there's something to that, like wanting to keep that door open. But uh, I liked it a lot. I really did. And if for anyone it didn't work for, fair enough. But I, I liked it because I think, look, any story you always want to subvert the audience's expectations, but but do it in a way that feels natural, right? Like you can always have any character do anything, right? And it might, could be surprising, but it might not necessarily track and feel real. And I think you, you read a story like this and you're expecting fisticuffs. You're expecting this blowout between the two of them. And to see it take a different path was refreshing, but it also felt like something that John Kent, would do, right? Like to your point. Yep. No, I don't think that necessarily any character in that position would. But, but with the kind of Superman John is, it it felt fitting. And yeah, you mentioned that clip that he that he plays for for Superman, and that we had seen John watch in the Fortress where he meets the you know Jonathan and Martha who have been put there for their safekeeping. Uh, but you know, it's it's Lois. Saying to John how how you know how much she admires the fact that even though it would be so easy for him to give in to hate towards Ultraman that he hasn't that he's risen above that uh, so it you know resonates for John and then to kind of pass that message along and and clearly all of the weight that it carries for for Superman to see a version of Lois Lane and then John kind of has this speech to the to Superman and to the audience about he even says like you're not Superman like you're not my dad and <laughs> you're not Superman right Superman doesn't you know doesn't rule with 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 cruelty, right? Superman's a friend who helps always. Uh, so again, this, this this articulation of of what it means to to wear the symbol, uh, I I just yeah I liked a lot. The hug worked for me. I thought it was, I I don't know. I just I thought it worked. It was it was not yeah. what I was. I mean, it was what I was expecting because I had seen the thing on Twitter. But it wasn't you know in the context of reading the story. It's not necessarily where you think it's going. And and
1: yeah, I think the lowest thing right before it is a big element that. If you don't see that part of the scene, it feels like, oh, he just hugged him to make it better. Like, no, there's a large, there's a whole thing about it. Like he eliminates the whole Justice League on purpose to illustrate that he could, you know, that we are creating. I mean, it's kind of um, whatever happened. No, not whatever. Um, It's kind of like, um, what's so funny about true justice in the American way? Like showing like with my power, I could have done bad, but in this scenario, I'm doing good
0: because John even says, as he's charging, he's thinking, you know, we get his internal monologue, and he's like, I'm faster than he is. I'm stronger than he is in this moment. It's like he could could have knocked him out. But again, Mm -hmm. I think this theme that we've been seeing in these stories here where, yeah, maybe he could have physically subdued Superman in that moment, but would that have turned him, you know, kind of turned him around in terms of his approach? Would that have, you know, changed anything in their world? Or would he have just you know kind of regain the power and maybe been even even worse right after that. So I think that hug was that attempt to again create that potential for this superman to be something else. I think it's akin to in that speeding bullets arc, Clark offering to work with metallo, right? It's akin to him yeah. telling keenan go save this this person who was attacking us, like you're creating uh room for for these people to do and be something else. So uh yeah, and yeah, then I he's back to his world.
1: Yeah, I think that this is, it, it's the, the core theme of like, well, why don't you do more? Couldn't you do more? And like, well, actually it would be so easy to, to, to overreach. It would be so easy to do that. Like it would not be that difficult for Superman to assassinate a world leader. Like that's like, it you know, the, the worst dictator of, of the worst nation, he could easily step in, but there's all these knock-on effects. There's all this collateral damage. There's all these things that you can't foresee these consequences that are out there. Um, that violence and hate they've seen aren't the way to do it. Like if he can redeem Superman, he can save the world. If he kills Superman in this moment, he doesn't do much to the world. It's already in this state. And the only chance for redemption is to stop the cycle of violence and hate. Absolutely. So I think that's really effective. And I think one thing we haven't specifically referenced here is that whenever we're talking about John Kent, dealing with Superman stuff, especially dealing with evil versions of Superman stuff, we do have to like note that there is invincible out there that it, which is a very similar series that ran pretty much leading up to the introduction of John Kent as a character um, that is dealing with a lot of those similar themes and dealing with it in specifically that particular way. So if you're trying to tell a unique story about a similar kind of setup for like where this character is going to go, like you can't just have it be a knockdown dragout drag out fight because we've literally seen that so much so now that there are massive memes going around the internet referencing the fight that people know about. And then there's so much more to come for that series, but like, like as a series, it's doing the same kind of story. Um, but being like, and here's with the brutal honesty and like, and, and all the gore and violence and Dragon Ball Z ish that we could, we could throw in there on top of like this, like moral discussion. Well here let's, Let's flip it where we actually have a more positive outcome, where we have a character who is is able to think about the consequences of their actions.
0: Well said. Shall we shift to our final arc here? The uh, the- uh I,
1: I do think we should say one thing about the power stuff before we move on. Sure, sure. Uh, I, I've said Dragon Ball Z-ish on purpose because it feels very like Super Saiyan in a way. I'm okay with it because I like this energy blue Superman form and it makes enough sense that he has a, a, a limited charge that he can spend a lot of it at once. I think all of that kind of makes sense. I wish that the blue energy thing would become his default look um and that maybe... Full on energy form is only when he goes really hard, but like, I, I think in terms of distinguishing the characters that would go a long way towards making John not feel like Connor.
0: It would do that. I'm wearing my electric Superman shirt. It's like, I, you know, I I love that. It's, it's a, you know, it's a part of Superman's history, the electric, (laughs) the electric saga. And yeah, I feel like John would be, yeah, I feel like that would, that would solve a couple of things. So I I would love to see that become more, more part of his character. So, the first five issues of this Superman series, Joshua Williamson, Jamal Campbell, i this was these were very uh very fun, uh brisk issues. i mean it's it, it's, yeah. it's funny looking at all of them. I definitely I feel like action comics i it, it even putting aside the backup stories, I definitely spent longer reading those issues. John Kent, maybe somewhere in between the Superman issues, like really zipped by. And that's neither that's neither compliment nor criticism. They were I feel like they were pretty brisk reads uh, and, and, you know, moved along quickly and again, are really focusing on Clark in Metropolis Uh, again with this uh, very, very kind of unlikely uh, pairing with Lex Luthor, who's behind bars, but has handed over the keys to his company to superman to use them to help and he's offered uh to help superman against the the coming threats. Uh as someone who I've been saying on this podcast for years like I I want this dynamic where Lex knows the secret and there's obviously still a lot of, of animosity between them but this this bedrock of this lost friendship between them this is really kind of hitting the sweet spot for me. How, how did uh, how did you feel about these these issues here?
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> i i I enjoyed this arc a lot um (laughs) the 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 dynamic between superman and lex i thought was great i i love lex just like talking to him and actually at times even like responding it like just because he guessed how superman responded uh i thought was was great i think super hearing is is a difficult power to make work effectively for uh story purposes but here it works really well in terms of like having this like one-sided communication but also it's like kind of not one-sided element um that, that I thought was like really effective. Uh, I really enjoyed, even though like, again, continuity is just like all kinds of weird right now, but like the, the um, the young adventurer version of Lex Luther, like when he, rev- like we, we have a shot of him as a young man with like red hair and this like green and purple, like action suit with like a utility belt, uh, that felt doc savage ish. Like, it's like that gadget kind of superhero that I really enjoyed, um, I I was fun. I I thought that was fun. I thought the idea that Lex Luthor has supervillains was a really fun idea to introduce. Uh, So that was all really cool. The super core stuff specifically uh, made me kind of have flashes to like CW shows. It felt like, Oh, well, here's, here's our, our whole infrastructure and the guy in the chair. But in this case, the guy in the chair is Lex Luthor. Ah, like vibe for the character, which feels fun because it feels like we're deliberately kind of, poking fun at that is such a trope of superhero media that we have been, you know, subject to for the last like decade or so. Um, And, and obviously we're coming to the end of the CW era, but like that guy in the chair kind of mentality is, is very much there that, that having that, that sort of like backup team, you know, the, the scooby gang from Buffy or any of the CW. So superhero shows like flash team or green team, green arrow or whatever, like it's nice to play in that space here, but like, you know, it's still Lex Like it's still <laughs> like, like there, there's still like plenty to doubt about this whole circumstance. And there's the, the people you're fighting in this, in this arc are potentially people who know more about, you know, the, the <laughs> even more about the bad things that Lex Luthor has done over the years. So I, I think it's all fun set up there that, that is very playful and, and enticing to a new reader. And like you said, very brisk. I, I, uh, I think everything about it, moved really well i think that the art was a really good uh illustration of like here's what modern coloring techniques can do like it, this felt like the most like here's the most modern superman book uh, of the three that we're looking at like john kent is its own kind of romp it, you know like i said it was an dimensional kind of romp uh story but it's the type of one we've seen plenty of times and action comics felt very classic and this one is like here here's Like classic and and updated in fun ways and like an elder statements, elder statesman, Superman and all that. But like, this is the one that feels like we're, we're showing what, if we're just doing just a Superman book and it's not about a Superman family, it's not about backup stories. It's not about, here's all the weird twists. How can we do the, the most modern version of that book? And have it still be true to Superman and have it be engaging and have it deal with the supporting cast that we've all, you know, expected at this point, all the Daily Planet stuff. You know, this is where we get a lot of the Lois as editor in chief stuff. This is where we see a lot of the other reporters. There's so much Jimmy in this, and I love it. Uh, I love that. uh, (laughs) First of all, I think that it's like a fun idea that he would be dating Silver Banshee. But then the fact that she calls him Turtle Boy, I love so much.
0: I, I, you know, I, I agree with all of that. and I, I think that's a that's a an apt assessment of the books and the vibes that they're going for. Uh, our fellow Superman podcaster Michael Bailey, I know hes he said that he, you know, he predicts that this run, you know, could be something akin to a Batman hush by the time you know we're done or done with the first year. And time will tell if that's true or not. I mean, certainly over the course of these first few, uh, again, in kind of a Hush-esque turn, uh, you know, we've had villains like Parasite and like Silver Banshee, you know, kind of get this new spin. So we're, uh, we're, you know, we're getting these updates, we're sort of meeting, we're, we're getting reacquainted with, um, again, supporting cast and and adversaries. Uh, I, You know, it's funny, I've never been a Silver Banshee fan. This has been the most I've ever enjoyed the character. I love this idea of a Silver Banshee who has turned over a new leaf and is engaged in a relationship with Jimmy Olsen. And uh, and then is is coerced back into uh, her supervillain ways by uh, Farm and and Graft uh, these these old supervillains of Lex's like you said not Superman's but Lex's who are again tinkering with uh, villains like Parasite right they experiment on yeah. Parasite and then with Silver Banshee they use kryptonite radiation and uh, with with Silver Banshee it's like tying her scream into the Phantom Zone with Parasite it's. Uh, resulting in him splitting into all of these multiples and then even getting so small that uh, the multiples become microscopic, like an airborne virus. So people, including Superman, start to turn into parasites. So it's like this night where Metropolis is overrun by the parasites. Uh, We also get a a turn, uh, actually a few appearances by Livewire. Again, a character who I've never been like the biggest fan of, especially in the comics, the few times she's been used, but I liked her a lot here. And I think this was in the annual where Lois goes to the prison to interview her and they get attacked by Red Mist from the Bendis run and Livewire intervenes and stops her because she doesn't want to miss her opportunity to be interviewed. And at the end of the story, Lois, rather than interviewing her, gives her her own (laughs) column in the Daily Planet. I mean, she's still in prison, but she's (laughs) writing. So there's like, there's a lot of fun stuff here. And with Lex, like you said, you know, early on in the story, Lex is just talking to to Clark, and Clark hears him with his supervision. But later, in a in a big step, Clark gives him a signal watch, a, com- yeah. a communicator, right between them. And one of my favorite this this genuinely made me laugh during the whole Silver Banshee business, where Lex says to Clark, <laughs> he's like, when they realize you know Jimmy Olsen has been in a relationship with Silver Banshee, he's like. I don't understand like how you've been able to save anyone since you have to keep saving Olsen from himself over and over. Right. <laughs> just like, it was great. It was, it was great. I really, uh, I, I, I like that a lot. I just, I want more. I want more Clark Lex. I want more, Discussions and references to their time in Smallville. Uh, it, there's not much of that. I, there's one point where Lex is recounting his history to to Clark, where he's like, "Well, you're while you were still chasing cheerleaders in Smallville, you know, I was I was off in Metropolis." But I I want more of that stuff. But I I do like the idea that Lex had this secret past as a hero in Metropolis that was buried. And the annual gets into this more, where Lois is starting to put the pieces together, looking at these old Daily Planet archives and all signs are pointing towards Perry White being the one who buried these stories about Lex's heroic exploits. So there's interesting stuff going on. Then there's this this supernatural character um oh, I'm blanking on her name all of a sudden. The, Marilyn Moonlight. Thank you. Uh Marilyn yeah. Moonlight who alludes to this uh, you know this 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 hidden uh, past in Metropolis and I think this is teeing up a western themed story that Williamson is going to be doing soon. Normally I'm not into the supernatural infused with the Superman stories but I'm in, I don't know I'm intrigued I like this idea between the between the western aspect between Lex's past like that there's more going on with the history of the city that is new to us and new to the characters and they're trying to figure it out.
1: Yeah like Marilyn Moonlight kind of felt like just a weird addition if you're just looking at this arc but if you see it as like oh we're setting up stuff for the future like, I think that's all fine. I think she's striking looking, although the fact that her cape is just, uh, like a crescent moon, uh, it, like you even said like Maryland moon night by accident earlier. And like, it's just, you, you can't help but kind of make that comparison right there. Um, but I, th- I, th- I think visually speaking, they do an amazing job with the coloring. They like the, the use of white, uh, uh, and, and the way that it has like this kind of like uh, lunar glow to it all, I thought was really effective at like, not just being a, like a moon themed character, but actually having this sort of like, uh, like you said, supernatural kind of element, uh, and, and, and all that I, it kind of depends on where this character goes. Like if it's, if we never see her again, or they don't really do like a good story with her, this will feel like kind of an unnecessary inclusion. If it is a character that has, that grows legs over time, I think that'll be really fun.
0: Yes. Now that's fair. I think one of my favorite moments in uh, two, two moments that stand out. And then we can wrap this up. We just passed the two hour mark. But as I said to you off mic beforehand, I'm like, ah, I don't feel like it has to be two hours. And that's where we ended up. But,
1: and I apologize because I've had plenty of like three hour plus episodes of men of steel.
0: So. It's all good. It's all good. Uh, it's, you know, that's the thing. Like we love talking about this stuff and as long as people yeah. enjoy listening for this amount of time, it's all good. But when when Superman is going after Silver Banshee and he wants Jimmy to stay back and like Jimmy stands his ground with Superman and is like if this were someone you loved would you stay and he's like no and he, he gets Jimmy a jetpack
1: yeah like, I like, love that that was great
0: <laughs> I like that a lot and then I think my favorite Lex moment in this whole thing is when he's in the prison yard and the other inmates are ragging on Superman right mm-hmm. and Lex like flicks an acorn uh, into the guy's mouth and it turns out he's allergic and he like barely survives but. It was, I liked that a lot because I feel like you can read that in a couple of ways. Like why Lex took action against those guys who were, who were talking smack about Superman. On the one hand, you can look at it as, well, if he's my chief nemesis and you're saying he's really not that, not all that, then what does that say about me, right? Like anything that you say about Superman is a reflection on me and it's an ego thing for Lex. Or, you know, again they have this past they have this history they had this friendship so i would that's the way i choose to look at it i feel like there was an aspect of that at play for lex but that maybe one of the last big questions i want to ask you is just this the notion of lex entrusting the company to superman and and offering to help superman and again uh stopping the smack talk in the prison yard and and clark's decision ultimately to work with lex i mean Uh, I I guess, does this, do you enjoy this dynamic? Does this dynamic track for you? What are your, what are your thoughts at this point in time after these first few issues?
1: I think this dynamic worked remarkably well. Like the, the snark that Lex Luthor has as the guy in the chair, but he's like just condescending about everyone around Superman at any given time, I think is perfect uh, I, I, think that that's exactly what we need and it, it helps, you know, like with Superman, like there's always a question of like, well, how much are we going to spend time in his head versus how the world sees around him? Um, and it like, is it is actually helpful having a character who can kind of keep pace with them and sort of be that like play by play person. Um, but have them be, you know, such a dick. Like, I think that's fantastic in terms of like, like, what is that dynamic? What is... You know, it's not a stern dad being like, no, you should go help them. It's Superman's always the one. It's like, it's like, I can't believe you're helping these people. Like, I, I think that's a really effective twist on what we would normally see with these kind of dynamics. Like, you know, like compare it with like Batman Beyond with like Terry McGinnis and older Bruce. Like it's it, it it's one where like, no, the the, the the person who has a good head on their shoulders and who is competent and, and, and you know, capable and all that. Is there, and then the person who just happens to be a super genius, but he's just like very, very mean to everyone around him, regardless of if he's on the side of good or not, uh, is is in his ear always. Is it's wonderful.
0: Yeah, I I, I like it so much, and even just in the opening uh, the p- pages of the first issue when Superman is fighting Livewire and he's just hearing Lex with his super hearing, and you know, Lex is telling him like, "All right, break her arm; it'll shock her." You can right.
1: take her. <laughs> exactly,
0: <laughs> or it'll surprise her. Shock is uh, no pun intended. Uh, but you know, just, just things like that, like the, the difference in approaches. And I agree like that level of antagonism in terms of the, the person in the chair and the, <laughs> and the, the hero in the field you don't typically get. And, uh, it's great. Look, I really, really, really did not like, uh, Lex's turn as a uh, perpetuous lapdog and all of the, uh, the metal business that we talked about. So to see him back in this capacity, uh, you know, is, is. A breath of fresh air for the character, and I—I I will say too, I'm happy with the with the whole idea of the the company being in Superman's hands. I guess at the outset, I didn't know—not that I expected Superman to be sitting in a boardroom per se—but I didn't know kind of how how that was going to look. Uh, but I like the way that it's it's played out so far. That there's this resource that he's that he can tap into. Uh, I do like how. You know, he makes a comment. I think to Mercy. You know, at, at a certain point where he's like, "How come you guys have a gun, like <laughs> a gun ready to go for like, each?" Because of- when Parasite shows up, Lex is like, "All right, go to the company. Like, get the get this. Uh, we got know, the Parasite
1: gun. gun. No, here's the Live Wire gun, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 here's the Silver Banshee gun. <laughs>
0: yeah. So no, I, I like that a lot. And then you know, it's it's heartbreaking at the end. I guess we do have uh, you know kind of one thing carrying us. Not one thing, but. Just a little thing throughout these first five issues, you know, the the first page of the story, it's a flashback to Clark's time in Smallville, and he's listening to music, right? Uh, And he continues to listen to music uh, as Clark at various points. It kind of helps him tune out, you know, everything and focus. And uh, at the end of these five issues, he's temporarily lost his super hearing due to the battle with Silver Banshee. And he's able to just kind of enjoy the moment, right? He and Lois are having a double date with Jimmy and, and Siobhan, and, uh, but unfortunately, it's, I, I like the way this played out. It was, it was tragic where he's having the time of his life, right? Living it up uh, out on the town, and Lex is getting shanked in prison and he's calling out. He's calling out for for Clark to save him, and Clark can't yeah. hear him. It was a, a powerful way to go out. Again, we're a couple issues behind. So we've, by now, the, all, the readers have, I guess, seen the resolution to that, but that's kind of where we left off with the character. And I, I thought it, it was done well.
1: Yeah, especially because that was part of Doctor Pharma's plan. Um, one thing I, I I need to call this one out. So the the one I love that they have henchmen, and two the fact that the henchmen are called farmhands. I thought was amazing. But like with a PH, great stuff. I was like, like this I, again. This feels so like so comic booky in all the right ways. It feels like a modern Superman book in ways that I really enjoy. Like that we've got here claws made of all the different types of kryptonite and how they interact with supervillains. It's like such a fun comic booky kind of detail. The fact that they have henchmen, the fact that Lex Luthor has a secret career as a superhero before that. And these are his supervillains. Like all of these are like wonderful elements that they're throwing out there that don't feel like it's alien to the world of Superman. Uh, It just feels like we're reveling in like, the absurdity of like what a silver age style Superman book could be updated for 2023.
0: Yeah, no, I, I think that's, I think that's a good way of putting it. I mean, I was thinking about this. When we look back on the past, I don't know, let's say decade of Superman stories. I think that the, you know, the new 52 era, I think is better than it often gets credit for. I think the rebirth era gets a little more credit than it deserves i don't you know i know people really have a lot of love for it i don't dislike it i don't dislike it but we will you know we covered it a while back and I, again i feel like maybe that's a little bit overrated for, for for me uh the bendis era i think that the assessment that has been given has been fair <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and then we head into this you know this this most recent period right with with philip kennedy johnson and with tom taylor and now with josh williamson and i feel like the books are really in very strong shape um and again that's not to put down anything that came before but like i'm really i'm happy with where we are and again selfishly personally again this really does call to mind the period of the comics that resonated with me so much and in terms of again the supporting cast, even the SCU, right? We don't have Maggie Sawyer anymore. We have Chief Kit Koa, if I'm saying that right. But so we have a new head of the SCU who's who's popping up, uh, the, the, you know, this the secret history of Metropolis, Lex's past, the Daily Planet staff, all of it. You know, Lex knowing the secret, the two of them as unlikely allies, uh, the Blue Earth movement in the other books, Steelworks. And, you know, we didn't even mention this, but in addition to what we did look at as part of Dawn of DC, that Publishing initiative also includes the Superboy Man of Tomorrow miniseries uh, and the Steelworks miniseries, which we'll talk about in the future. Uh, There's even a Fire and Ice Welcome to Smallville uh, miniseries that's going on now too. So there's, Mm -hmm. you know, there's 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 a lot, and I think it's overall an exciting time, and it was a lot of fun to catch up on all this stuff and compare notes with you.
1: Yeah, it's it's an exciting era for the book. It it feels back to basics in a lot of way, while still building on a large history of the character. And there is like the complications of, you know, the, the very crowded Superman family and everything. It's not like, here's a strip down. We're going to go back to square one. It's, but it's very easy to pick up uh, in a way that uh, certain eras of the, of the, Superman books have been harder to pick up and like process where we're at. Like if you tried to pick up a random issue of the Bendis run, like you wouldn't necessarily know all the players because you'd have to be like, wait, Jor-El's alive. And who's this guy? Like he killed Krypton. What? <laughs> You know, all, all those kind of things to it all. Um, This I think is, is very straightforward and inviting, you know, like, like I said, there's a reason that the, that the characters that we're seeing are generally speaking ones that are either familiar or are very well established in these arcs. Um, I think that even the choices of characters like silver Banshee and like, and live wire, the fact that they're showing up over on my adventures with Superman right now shows like a consistent attempt to be like, uh, we're, we're, we want people to be able to come in and not feel like that they have to deal with this, all this continuity and also feel like it still matters. And that's a, a very like tight rope to walk.
0: That, no, I, you know, it's funny. I wasn't even thinking about that, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I think it's uh, intentional or otherwise some nice synergy between the comics and the show. And, and you have Lex at play here. I know Williamson is, is building towards a brainiac storyline. We've gotten some hints at the end of the annual, we, we realize he's gotten uh, Zarnia in a, in a bottle. Uh, and he's going to use them to try to retrieve something from Earth. And I know Williamson is building towards his Queen Brainiac character. So there's a lot of stuff to come with the heavy hitters. Um, but at the same time, again, Metallo, Livewire, Silver Banshee, Parasite, again, not your top tier villains, but they have their place and to kind of spruce them up a little bit and do something different with them or add some new dimensions is great. So. Overall, very exciting, regardless of what misgivings we might have, especially with the burgeoning Superman family and maybe pushing it to its limits, but a lot of great stuff here. So uh, once again, I thank you so much for coming on here. Uh, this is the first time you and I ever spoke, so I'm glad that we got to connect. Where would you like to direct folks to your podcast?
1: Yeah, uh, again, thank you for having me on. We've been kind of dancing around each other on the internet for a while, so it's it's nice to actually uh, have a proper a proper conversation, especially about something that's just like as fun as these books have been. Uh, so, so thank you. Um, so, I am the host of the Men of Steel uh, podcast, which is a Superman and Superman adjacent appreciation show. Uh, my co-host J. Mike Falson and I, uh, we we typically don't look at currently publishing stories because uh, it is difficult to stay on top of those kind of things, and that requires a lot of like, you know, <laughs> uh, last minute. Like, here is the newest thing that that happened. So, typically, we're looking at. at uh, either big arcs or just like stories that were really fun to, to go back and look at, or things that are kind of related to Superman but not quite the same. So, uh, Invincible, for example, The Boys, you know, any characters that are inspired by Superman, we'll discuss uh, on, on there. Um, another show I host is Another Pass, which is currently on hiatus due to the SAG strike, uh, but it is a movie analysis show where we look at movies that we find fascinating but flawed and speculate on what could have been di- done at the time of production. Uh, to improve them. And then every five episodes, we look at a movie that had a lot of production issues and through ingenuity actually came out with a better movie as a proof of concept for what the show is. Uh, so both of those you can find wherever you find podcasts or at certainpov.com, which is the podcast network that I'm a part of. Um, also, if you go on YouTube, there is on certainpov media. Uh, a series that I run called Superman Analogs, where I do like basically a roughly five minute sort of breakdowns of what I think is important about a character that is in some way inspired by Superman. And that's a fairly wide net. I don't really want to get into the like, is that inspired by Superman or is it inspired by Captain Marvel? I'm like, it doesn't matter. The point is that it's the power of fantasy for the character. We're, have, we're having fun here with characters that I think are cool. That's the main point there. Uh, so if you're on YouTube, go check that out. Um, but again, everything you can find at certainpov.com.
0: Very cool. I hope everyone will check that out. Thank you again for taking part. I look forward to collaborating again uh, down the line. Uh, Audience, thank you for tuning in as always. I always appreciate it. Make sure you come back next week for our all new episode. And of course, as always, it's about what you do. It's about action. This podcast is an affiliate of BCW Supplies. The next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's F-S-P for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Many of you have already used this code and I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. Be sure to check out our sister podcast series, another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman, an episode-by-episode breakdown of the classic George Reeves television show, available wherever you get podcasts. Please join us on social media, become a patron, and subscribe, rate, and review today. Links are in the show notes. Thank you all.